Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Well, first of all, I have to say that especially after the pandemic, when you endeavor to go out on a weeknight to any sort of event, which takes motivation, and then you get there and you're like, wow, am I glad I came. So Amy Schechter, who is a friend, who is the CEO of Everybody, hosted this amazing panel a couple weeks ago. And Kimberly Lee Miner was one of the panelists. And I was in the audience listening to you, Kimberly, and I was like, I need to talk to you more. I need to hear your entire story. I need other people to hear your story. So for everyone listening, Kimberly is an accomplished executive with an impeccable record of building brands and developing strategies to keep business competitive and nimble. She's an executive member of leading domestic and international retailers and brand organizations. And she's currently the president and chief commercial officer at Bandier, the premier retailer destination of luxury, athletic, and athleisure fashion, where she oversees the direction of design, multi-channel merchandising, marketing, production, sourcing, and human resources. Just a couple things, Kimberly. <laughs> Kimberly is also the CEO for Bumbershoot, a boutique consulting firm that provides C-suite leadership, cultural and market insights for inclusive, equitable and diverse representation across brand, content, product and customer experience. And then if that wasn't enough, she's, of course, a fashion and retail thought leader and an advocate for advancing women and people of color in the workplace and serves as the founder and president of Women of Color Retail Alliance, supporting the careers of women of color in the retail industry through hard and soft skills training, very important, those soft skills, leadership development and networking opportunities, and sits on the board of director committees, including Blue Connect and Together Digital and Women's Wear Daily, just included Kimberly as one of the 50 most important women in power. So Kimberly, I'm honored to have you on. I'm so excited to share your story. So First and foremost, you're a Philly girl. You went to Temple. Yes. You did not start out thinking you were going to be in this retail industry. Not talk, at all. Talk about your dream of being the next Oprah. Yeah. My original dream when I was a little girl was I was going to be a doctor. It's going to be a doctor. And then I took microbiology, I think, in ninth grade. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not going to be a doctor. And so, <laughs> you know, I was always involved in the arts theater, a dance, 
all aspects of the art. And I love telling stories and hearing people's stories. So I was like, I know what I want to do. I want to tell stories. I want to be in that space. I want to be a broadcaster. I want to interview people. I love talking to people. And I love talking, as you know. And so I went to Temple to get my degree in radio, television, and film. And I worked at the uh, Power 99, which was the top station at the time in Philly. I did some stuff with Fox. I was a teen newscaster when I was in high school. Um, I had a show at Temple, the jazz station. It was so funny. My father was a huge jazz enthusiast. And every Friday, he would meet his buddies for coffee. And he came home one day. It was a weekend. And he said to me, do you know Kim Jones? Right? And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> he said, are you Kim Jones? yeah and he said why didn't you tell me he's like i'm sitting down with my friends and they're talking about this new show on wrti that's led by this young girl with kind of a husky voice and her name's kim jones but she knows all these facts she shouldn't know about jazz and they were talking about this and that and i'm like those are conversations i've had with my daughter and he said but you never told me right busted But it was the best thing because it was such a great connection. And so I just thought that's what I'm going to do. And so I was sending out tapes, visual tapes, as well as radio tapes. And I had a mentor at the radio station that I was interning at. And he was actually better than my advisor in that he understood the challenge of being a young woman in that industry. And so he would like block, you know, we go to events And I could see him like talking to people as they're walking towards me and the person would turn around and go. And so I had gotten some callbacks for interviews and they were the most uncomfortable thing, right? They were very focused on what I looked like. And at the time I had long hair. I was like a size one with, you know, big, butt, like, you know, and they want to know my ethnic background. Like they didn't want to talk about my tape or my resume And it just was one situation after another. And I would talk to my advisor, who was a man, and I'd say, that was really uncomfortable. Is that necessary? Like, why isn't anybody talking about my tape? Give me some feedback. Why am I going for an interview to go to dinner? Is that what this is about? And he said to me, he said, you sound ridiculous. And I said, I sound ridiculous? He's like, you sound ridiculous. Do you know how many people would want to be in your shoes to get invited for an interview. And if you have to push someone off and go to dinner, you should be okay with that. That's what this industry that you want to be in is about. Red flag everywhere. I said, it's a problem for me because I'm either going to get fired repeatedly or I'm just not going to get there because I'm not willing to compromise myself. I'll have to figure something else out. And I just stopped, like I just stopped trying, which was really disappointing to me because I wanted to be by that time, you know, I'm in college and I'm like, I want to be Oprah. And you're good at it. And that's so sad. And also I've heard you say this, but it is true. It's the me too before me too. Yeah. And some people, like I have a lot of friends, God bless them, who are in that industry. And they said, yeah, you just push away, you keep going. But that's exhausting, right? (laughs) And I guess I didn't want to do it bad enough that I was willing to do that. And so- I had already applied. I was accepted to grad school and there was a Macy's recruiter on campus. And I saw him all the time, Aliza, like 
he was annoying. He's like, Kimberly, good to see you. Right. I'm like, nice to see you too. And I keep going. He's like, I'm not leaving. I think you should consider us. And I said, there's nothing about retail. I said, I've never taken a retail class. It's never been anything that's been interesting. I worked at a store part-time, but I don't see myself going to grad school to work in a store. That's silly. I said, you're wasting your time. Why are you even here? You should be talking to people in merchandising. And he was like, I don't want people in merchandising. I want people who have a personality, who have a zest for life. And I see how you interact with people. He was smart. Yeah. Well, I was like, he's crazy. And then I was talking to my dad and I said, this guy won't leave me alone. He's like, all you have to do is take a test. Take the test. He's like, do you know anything about Macy's executive training program? He was like, Kimberly, you're going to grad school anyway. It's the best program in the States for retail. Like, even if you don't want to do retail, it's about business ownership and being a business leader. Do it. So I took the test. I did very well on the test. Long story longer. I go through each stage and I get there. And I'm realizing that it is about storytelling. I'll just be doing it with products. Yes. But here's what's really interesting for everyone to hear about you. So Kimberly has had, you know, 25 plus year career holding these major brand leadership positions at global retail and fashion orgs. So you've been at Macy's, you've been at L Brands, Foot Locker, Iconics. But I want to stop at Express for a minute because you got eight promotions at Express. And I want to dig into, well, first of all, how old were you at that time? And also, how did you advocate for yourself or show up in a way like an owner? I appreciate that question. So I went through Macy's executive training program and I was in grad school while I did it. And so when I got the call from Express, I had just turned 24. You know, I was in it. And so I knew that the future for retail was more about specialty and that personalization and smaller footprint of being really specialized. And so I was like, ah, department store, I think I want to know more about this. And by then I realized I wanted to be a leader in this industry. And so I felt like I need to do the specialty thing. Plus it was L Brands, right? And so I got the call because when I was at Macy's, one of my vendors called me and she said, this is a great opportunity for you. You're so good at this. I think you would shine. Can I give them your name? Yes, sure. So I go through the rounds of interviews and they fly me back and they're going to give me an offer. And they also were going to have me go out with the realtor to find where I was going to live in Columbus, Ohio. And so they give me the offer, Eliza, and they say, we'd love to have you come work for us. We're offering you this job as an analyst. And I said, well, an analyst? <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> right? And so they're like, well, you know, it's part of the financial team. It leads into planning and allocation. You'd start as a store analyst and then you would go into product analyst and then allocation and all that stuff. And I said, well, sounds like I'm starting over because I just did three years in Macy's executive training program and I've had three promotions in three years. So I do have experience in buying albeit an assistant, but I would imagine I thought I would be an associate. And they're like, no, because that was a department store and this is specialty. So you need to know it from the beginning. 
So I said, wow. Hmm. Well, I really want to work here. Like I heard myself saying it. I had not planned to say it, but my 24 year old boldness. And I think we lose that boldness. We can talk about that later, but I think we lose that boldness as we get older, right? Mm -hmm. We get more fearful of what the consequences of our actions are. But I said, I really appreciate the offer because I do want to work for Express. However, I want to be the leader of a brand. I want to be a merchant. I want to drive trends and I want to touch the product. And if you're telling me that my only option for a career here is to be an analyst and then financial and go straight into planning and allocation and then stay there, I don't think I can accept that offer. They looked at me like I had lost my mind, right? Like, who is this chick? And so Kim Jones coming through right now, (laughs) right? Like, what? So they laughed. They laughed. I remember Dick Johnson was the recruiter's name. He laughed. And I said, why are you laughing? And he said, because I don't know what else to do because no one's ever said that. No one's ever said that. He's like, but the thing is that you said it. He's like, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get back with the business leaders. You're going to go out with the realtor. And when you come back, we'll decide one way or the other. Okay. So I go out, come back. And he said, we've decided that anybody who's bold enough to challenge us on the position, we want to work for us. Oh, I love it. And here's what you have to do. You still are being offered the analyst job. But if you come in and all that boldness and everything we liked about you, and you prove to us and prove to yourself that you are the person who you're sitting here saying you are, there's no reason that you have to stay in planning and allocation. So you can create your own pathway. And we've never done that before, but no one's ever challenged us like that. And we like the way you think. Did they mention a time frame on that? No, and I didn't ask at the time, but it yeah, was fast because what I did, and again, not planned, like it just wasn't planned. But once I got in there, I saw opportunities to improve or to change the way things were being done that actually gave better insights into the analysis that we were doing. It gave the buyers better tools for them to make better decisions. And look, I was young. I didn't know anyone in Columbus. You know, L Brands has reputations. You work a lot, you do. But I was like, I'm here for my career. And so I'm also not shy. So then in my time, I'd get my job done. I'd see where there's opportunities. I'd work on new projects. And then I would just kind of walk around and I'd introduce myself to people. Like, what do you do? I do this. Can I work on that with you? Can you tell me more? And they loved it. Like I met so many great friends. So with that added knowledge of how people fit into the structure and understanding that the merchant is the hub. So if I want to be the hub, I need to know all the people and how they do it. And so I started doing special projects as my next promotion. I continued to do those special projects or reports or working directly with product development. How do you do your job? Have you thought about these trends? You know, all of that, it all goes into the job. And so it gave me exposure and I wasn't afraid to work hard. And so I was able to be a part of things before I was a part of things. So I proved I can do that. 
I can do that. It was crazy because yes, there were eight promotions in six years, but it was always an additional responsibility. And after, I guess it was my fourth promotion as a, they called them controllers, but it was like the senior level of planning and allocation. My vice president came to me and she said, I think you should be a merchant. I really think you think about the finances of the business in a very different way. And I think that's great because you see both sides and you bring it together very creatively. And I said, do you think I'm not doing a good job as a planner? And she's like, you're doing a fine job as a planner, but that's not going to get you to next. And being in that role for six more months, it's not going to get you to next. It's time for you to move to next. You don't have to be ready for next. You've shown that you have the aptitude and the interest. Here's an opportunity. And so that person is still in my life. I'm not surprised, but here's a question because I'm listening to you and you're reminding me of me when I was starting on the editorial side in magazines back in the 90s in fashion and learning everyone's job and trying to understand. But that can go one of two ways. That can be that you are the most collaborative, helpful team player, or people can view you as a threat who's trying to take over other people's jobs or sort of run the show. How did you get people comfortable around you? Because you're obviously making major moves and I'm sure everyone's watching. I mean, after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh promotion, people are like, okay, Kimberly is at a level, like you got yourself there, but the stakeholders around you or your peers, how did they react to things? Well, it was mixed. Honestly, it was mixed. One time I, we did our analysis, the whole packet that we would do, I, it's like, you know, this will simplify how we do it. And I thought it was a really cool thing. And I'm talking to the other people who do the same job. And the head of the area, she was the senior vice president. She loved it. And there were like three people who loved it. And there were like four people who were like, well, who are you to change what we do? Why would you do that? And those were the same people that I said, well, hey, you know, what do you think about the way we do things? And they're like, it's fine. And so there are always people who were like, okay, she's not trying to do my job. She's in this job and she's trying to help. And then there are other people who were afraid of that. I couldn't really worry about those people. It used to make my mom really nervous. She's not here any longer. But I remember her saying, you really don't care about that, do you? (laughs) I said, no, I love people but I'm not going to not do something because it might upset somebody. Like I'm not a person who's going to try to step on you to get forward. I'm just not, I'm trying to help you because I really believe, and I'm not a naive person. It's proven to be up to my advantage, but I really believe this, that if we help each other, the people who need to move forward will move forward. Like, I just really believe that. I just, I really believe that. And so that's what I saw. But I mean, I had one situation I was telling somebody this the other day. So at Express, when they were announcing any promotions, they would just have everyone come into the center. It's not like you interviewed for the promotions. Like the leaders would have these meetings. Was it the nine box? You know, when they, they're laying out who they think are the people mm-hmm. who should move forward. And so once they make that decision, they just call everyone into the atrium and then they would, you know, announce it. And I think it was my fourth promotion. And there was a a woman who had started with me. I won't say her name. We started the same day. She was older than I was, 
but we really were friends because we started the same day we were working. And then eventually she worked for me. I became her manager. And I would say to her, hey, this is a really good report. It would be great if you added these things. And she would get so frustrated with me. She'd say, that's you. That's not me. And why are you making it harder for me by doing these extra projects? And I was like, yeah, no, that's not. What? Right? Like, I didn't understand it. So I got promoted again. And she stood in the middle of the atrium under the arch. And she looked at me and she gave me the finger. <gasps> oh, my. Okay, that's like fourth grade, number one. Absolutely. She stood there. She looked me straight in my face and gave me the finger. And I was like, wow. Okay. Wow. And I could have done one or two things, right? Like I could have been totally upset and let it get in my head, which I did. I was like, that is so unfortunate because I like her very much. The good thing was that she didn't report to me anymore. right? (laughs) I mean, mean, yeah. Wow. You don't hear about that sort of thing that often. But let's shift gears a little bit because you did mention your mom. And I think it's important for people to understand while all this amazingness was happening in your trajectory, in your career, your family life was going in a different direction and you had to decide where your priorities were going to go. Would you share a little bit about that? Sure. I had just bought a house and my mom and dad had come out to help me move into my house. I'm an only child very close to my mom and dad. And they were so proud, right? My mom worked for Bell of Pennsylvania. She did business school at night. My dad never went to college. He went to the Marines, came out, worked for BF Goodrich for some years in post office. Their focus was on me having more, having better, having a different life. And, you know, it's part of my drive to this day. And they're both gone, but I could never let them down. And I wouldn't want to let myself down. And so they were so supportive of anything I wanted to do. Like, yeah, that's right. And they would give me really like hard lessons. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Do this. And so I was so fortunate in that way. So I'm doing my thing professionally and we were having dinner. So I was coming right from the office. When I got to the restaurant, my dad was sitting in the car and my mom and my godparents were in the restaurant. So I walk up to the car and I'm like, are you okay? Why are you sitting out here? And he was just so angry and like cursing, which was not my dad. Like I was like, what is what's happening? Is he having a stroke? What's happening? And so they left the next day. That was a Friday. And then Saturday, my mom called me and she said, we're at the hospital. Your father's something's going on. So he had a brain tumor. Oh gosh. That had caused that change in personality. And, and so he had to have brain surgery and all this stuff. You know, and my mom, who had retired early, she was taking care of my dad. And it seemed like she had the flu, but it wasn't going away. And so we found out that she had cancer, she had mesothelioma. And so my dad's scared because his stroke after the surgery was massive. And then my mom, you know, they told us that she had five years to live. And so I'm trying to pursue this professional goal. And the two most important people in my life are losing their lives. That's so hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And I'm in Columbus and they're in Philly. And so I became a legal guardian for my mom, my dad, and my grandparents. I was 27 and I had to balance because they did not want me to quit. 
they did not want me to come home. And I tried that. I tried that for a long time. And six months to the day they told my mom she had five years to live, she passed. And then I really had to go into gear because, man, now I have to take care of my dad and I have to take care of my grandparents. And I tried it. I tried it. I tried to do it for about almost a year. And in that year's time, my aunt, who had been with my mom every day, she passed two months later after my mom. And then my grandmother passed three months after my aunt. And it was just so dark and heavy that I just, I had to make a life choice. And I had to say, you know, my career is important, but my life is more important. And I'm in such a dark place trying to keep it all together. I'm going to lose one of them and I don't want to lose either. So I have to make a really tough choice. And so I left express and I focused on my family, but at the same time, I had such great relationships by then with my vendors and people in the industry and PR and all that I said, I can't not work. And so I decided to do a clothing line and my vendors helped me with the samples and the mills helped me with, you know, the fabrics and had another friend that helped me with the PR. We did fashion week at the sugar bar on West 72nd and Broadway. And, you know, it was during fashion week, but it was off. So it wasn't expensive. My dad got to see that and um, it was just different, but it was still keeping my hand on the pulse Eventually, I got back to working and, you know, my dad then passed away and my grandfather passed away and I got married and I have kids, you know, and life goes on. But it was the scariest time in my life. Mm. I'd never been in a dark place and I didn't have a great boss. Sometimes you just have to be quiet. And the thing that you have to do as hard as it is, it's the right thing to do. And we come out of it. It's when we fight feeling or fight dealing with these hard parts of life because life is not always happy when you're afraid of it or you don't deal with it it becomes too big to deal with and then it's unsurmountable. Mm, thank you for sharing all that it's heartbreaking in so many ways because one it's your family and you love them and you're seeing them suffer but also you're this rising star and you had to basically put your star on a shelf for a minute to like shift your priorities. And I think people definitely have to do that from time to time. And I think that's really admirable, really, really admirable. Thank you. Of course. One thing I want to talk about that I think is really important in your rise in your career, you have said that you were often the only and often the first. And I know that has inspired a lot of the other extracurriculars, if you will, of what you do with Bumbershoot and the Women's Alliance. That is an important thing to recognize about yourself. But also, you know, you've obviously taken a leadership role in making sure women of color have a seat at the table, have access, leaving the door open. But one thing I want to talk about today that's different than maybe that is like you're doing that and you're the example to follow. But how do you get that at scale so that the people who are receiving it from you are also paying it forward so that it becomes a viral movement versus just all dependent on the exemplary people who are making the effort to do that? Right. That is such a great question. 
And I don't know if I have the pat answer for it, but I do know that it is an everyday thing. It's every day. And it's about talking to as many people. It's about posting as much as I can. And I put it out there. Um, Everyone needs to follow Kimberly on LinkedIn. She's amazing. Go on. I've moved beyond the fear. Like I think I, I moved beyond it a long time ago because my whole life has been first. You know, we were the first black family in my neighborhood. I was in talented and gifted. I was the only black kid in my classes all through high school. And I don't know if I just have comfort in there, but it's an uncomfortable comfort because even though I feel like I should be able to be anywhere, I think because of those experiences, I've run into people who don't necessarily think I should be there. And they certainly don't think other people should be there. And I think I was talking about it on Friday. I was having a conversation with Sharonda Weatherspoon from Ralph Lauren. We were talking about that. And I said, you know, I found that the generation before me, before us, there was a pride almost in being the first or the only. Mm. And so it made it difficult to get those people on board with mm-hmm. you opened the door, but you only cracked it. Let's yep. open this door together. So what I found was I needed to start working with the younger people. So A, they would see there's a possibility for me here and work with leadership to show them, no, I'm not a unicorn. There are a lot of intelligent, creative, thoughtful women of color who can be leaders. No, I'm not a unicorn. No, I'm not a unicorn. And it's ongoing, Aliza. It is exhausting, (laughs) but it's not fixed. It's not fixed. And I see things that happen every day or people reach out to me and tell me about situations where there's an only and they're not working out. They're not working out. Okay. Well, what have you done to make that person feel comfortable in a situation where they're the only, only. So you're not talking to them. They're not included in your social circles. They're not right. But you want them to be as successful and perform at the same rate as someone else who fits in like a glove and who you maybe play golf with or play poker with, or, you know, your kids are in the same school. That's unrealistic. It's unfair. And it's really, it's the gate to where we should be as a society, as an industry, as a business. There's nothing that supports the fact that women of color shouldn't be in any role that is available. There's nothing that says that there's only one. There's nothing, nothing. There's no proof of it. There's no science to it. It is the most ridiculous thing, but there are people who are so afraid of change Mm -hmm. and of opening the door that they are spiting themselves from a business perspective by keeping people, women, especially of color out of the game. You know, when you think about what do consumers look like? Are women of color not consumers? So how are you meeting their needs if there's no one sitting in the room? And this continues to happen. I mean, you could do a whole show about the missteps of just having one point of view in the room. And so it's important. It's extremely frustrating sometimes because in 2022, when I'm talking to people and it doesn't matter to them, that's just unbelievable to me. That's unbelievable to me. Let's flip the script a little bit because I think 
on one hand, we're talking about the people internally in positions of power who don't understand the value, don't understand how diversity can make the business even more dynamic and profitable. But since we're on a podcast, give women of color the words for if they're seeing this happen to themselves. Okay, I feel like I'm going to get fired or I feel like I'm not going to get promoted. What are the sort of tools they can use to advocate for themselves to shift the tide a little bit? Because I think that that's really important too. It's like they also need to not just sit back and take it, right? That's right. And I will tell you in the work that I've done, what I've found, there are a few things. Generally, women of color are given projects or roles that don't have financial accountability, right? That's correct. That is like the number one thing I see. They don't have financial accountability. If you don't have financial accountability, you don't know how to run a P&L. You don't know how to grow your business. You don't know. It's all about the financial, right? And so they're in HR and a lot of times they're in product development, right? And of course you need to know in product development, you need to know the product, but at the end of the day, you're not accountable for the budget. And so I've talked to so many women where they're like, yeah, you know, but on that side of the business, it's very political. And I said, every business has politics. Like you need to move that out of the way and you need to learn how to say, thank you for that information and walk away. Don't get in the middle of it. It's going to swirl no matter where you are. So the first thing is HR is really, it's an important part of the business, but you don't want to be everybody's, I don't even know, heart right? Like that's not the role. It takes me back to the mammies and, and, you know, and a black woman raises most of America, right? Because, oh, we have such big hearts and we're so welcoming. And that's great. You can be that. That's your personality. That's fabulous. I'm a pretty welcoming person. But when I think about business, you have to think about what you really want and you can't accept just what someone gives you. And so how do you, how do you counter that? You don't have to have an attitude or feel slighted. Like you've got to build the strength of your agency to be able to have these conversations. They're not easy conversations, but the minute you make it emotional is the minute you've lost. And so my advice is always, you know, if someone says something to you or they come to you and you see, ah, I'm not going to get this opportunity, but I really want this opportunity. You're not mad at that person. You don't have an attitude. You're going to come back. You're going to get the job description for that position. And you're going to constantly update your resume of accomplishments. So sit down. We forget them. Sit down and keep a list. Just keep listing what you've done, how you have improved this business. What have you added that wasn't there? Make a list. Keep that list. I call it a menu of accomplishments and make sure there are financial improvements, like show that so that you know it, because the more you look at that and add to that list, you get the confidence to know I deserve that. And then sit down with the powers to be, you should be having regular touch bases with your boss. Make sure you write it down and you say, hey, I know this position is coming up. I heard about this. Here are the qualifications. Here are the things that I've done 
that lead me to believe I'd be a great candidate for this. And I know the company, right? I've worked here for blah, 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 blah. I think I can bring this, this, and this. And always play it forward for yourself. If that doesn't happen, I want to say this loud for people in the back who might not hear me. If that doesn't happen, it's okay. It's okay to use that same information because there's going to be another company that you can be just as successful. Don't be afraid to move on. But if you are planning to move on, please be strategic about your future. Don't just take the job that you get a call about. Because if your resume, it's okay to move, but you have to have a story. You have to have a reason for moving. And if it's just because they didn't give you the opportunity and you take a job that's less than where you were going to go, then your story is just through the window, right? So be smart about it. Be about the business, not about the emotion. Politics are everywhere. Just don't get in the middle of them. And Speak up for yourself, but start with that menu of accomplishments. It will increase your confidence significantly. And you have to have the confidence to have that conversation because you're not always going to get a yes, but you might be surprised by who gives you a yes, because they might not have expected you to be that prepared. Amazing advice. Speaking of yes, I know that you will never be pressured into a yes. And I also know that you're not scared to say no. So how do you channel your own confidence in that regard? I'll tell you, I've had to build a thick skin. Look, my mom was a person. Everybody would say, oh my God, Kimberly's doing this, she's doing that, she's great. My mom said, "Mm, no one's great at everything, right? You just can't be great at everything. Leave it to moms to just put you back in your place. Oh yeah, like she's like, you're not great at everything. <laughs> Funny story. I was in the church choir and we had a concert at another church and my mom couldn't go. But then some people had gone, they called her and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, Kimberly did a solo. It was so great. She's like, and my mom was like, oh, thank you. And she hung on the phone. She's like, you did a solo? <laughs> I was like, I did. And she's like, and you felt good about that? Like, did you oh. feel comfortable? And I said, um, I did. <laughs> She's like, you know, sweetie, you're really smart. You're a beautiful, beautiful young person. You're very creative. You're not a singer. (laughs) I love her. I love my mom. At the time, I was like, but she taught me to know what you're good at. Yeah, very important. And have the confidence in those things. You don't have to be everything. You don't have to be perfect at everything. You can make mistakes. That's okay. You can make mistakes and you have to learn from those mistakes. Like her thing was, you know what? You fail, cry for a minute, get a tissue, wipe your eyes, make a note of the things that you did that you'll never do again and keep it moving. And then you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You know where your strengths are. You have to learn those things, right? So you have to be open, open to learning who you are. And you're going to change, be okay with not being great at everything. And then always, always be willing to learn something new. Like that is my approach to life. So I don't get embarrassed if I make a mistake because I'm like, okay, well, that's what I did wrong. I'll do this next time. Or if I've hurt someone's feelings, I'm first, I'm sorry. And I mean it. You know, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. 
But my confidence comes from that. It comes from someone who didn't tell me I was great at everything and the curiosity and, and drive to learn more so that it's just kind of fluid. Maybe that sounds crazy, but it, it just, no, like I try to do that with my kids. Like, it's okay. You know, you had a bad test. I'm not mad at you because you had a bad test. What did you learn that you didn't know? You know, like, let's just be fluid. Oh, you didn't make the basketball team? That's okay. Track is in two weeks. Didn't you say you were interested in that? Like, I think that's the confidence. It's it's okay. We're going to wake up tomorrow. And if we don't, then hopefully we've lived a life that we can go to whatever we believe in, right? If I don't wake up tomorrow, I hope I've lived a life that whoever's left here would be proud of who I was to them. And I can't worry about other things, you know? I don't know. That's where it comes from. No, I think that makes total sense. So... On the subject of confidence, though, I posted a video about this yesterday, and then I saw that you had contributed to a Harvard Business Review article on ghosting. So <laughs> I personally feel that people, it's like a new tweak on ghosting. It's the, hey, guys, I need help with X, Y, and Z. Can anyone help me? And then all these people raise their hands, and you're like, oh, my God, this is so great. People are so gracious. And then you're like, thank you so much. I would love this intro or whatever. And then it's like, cricket literally people disappear. I'm calling it an epidemic because I'm seeing it. And then people are saying to me that like, they can't believe people are like saying, yes, they'll help. And then they're literally disappearing. So I'm curious, what do you do when you've reached out? If this ever happens to you yes. and it's just like radio silence. It has. This is probably not the thing I would advise people to do, <laughs> but <laughs> this is just me. Okay. So as an only child, I'm probably independent to a fault. And so I don't borrow or loan money. Like if you need something for me and I can give it to you, I will give it to you. So I grew up thinking, oh, people think the same. If I can help you, they'll help me. And so I got to the place where I was like, oh, maybe I'm crazy, <laughs> right? Because you've asked me for some help. If I can't, I'll say, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that but stay in touch because maybe there's something else I can do. So I expect that reciprocated. Most yes. people are so afraid. I think it goes back to confidence. I don't know. Like they're so afraid to just being honest. Like they want to please, like everybody wants to please. So they want to be included on that thread that says, yes, reach out to me. I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. So oh, they feel you know. good about themselves. Right. Yeah. But in the end, either they don't know the person they said they could help you with or they're really not in a position to do it. Like for whatever reason, right? It could be their work schedule. It could be anything. So I am bad. Like I'll ask once. I might ask twice, depending on what our relationship is. But if you haven't responded after you said you were going to help me, I take you off the list and I don't ask you for anything ever again. And if you want to offer then we might have a conversation like, really? Because the last time this is what happened. I'm not upset that you didn't respond, but I've looked in some other places just because you, you kind of left me hanging, you know? I don't think that's bad, but I, I'm not good at asking. Neither am I. Neither am <laughs> yeah, I. It's horrible. So women's were daily 15 most powerful women in retail. What does power mean to you? And how do you want to use that power to leave your mark? Power to me 
is the ability to influence and change what you don't like, right? Like to me, that's one element of power. And so the power that I hope I have, and I hope we get stronger as we go on, is to eradicate isms that get in the way of progress because of other people's fears and discomfort. I believe that's the power I have, and that's what I want to focus on so that I can make a difference. That's amazing. And you already are. Kimberly, I knew this was going to be an amazing conversation and you did not disappoint. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on Leave Your Mark. Well, and thank you so much for doing the research because these were the best questions. Like, I Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark Podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Aliza Licht XO. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to alizalicht.com for more information. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.